I'm ready. Let's do it. Welcome, one and all, to episode 261 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor. And during this interview, we have Charlie Belmore of Kings and Liars. He's also part of D. Snyder's solo band. He's also part of Jamie Josta's solo band. Uh, George Corpsegrinder Fisher of Cannibal Corpse fame's solo band. And he's also been part of um, Kingdom of Sorrow, which features Jamie Josta and Kirk Winstein of uh, Crowbar and Down fame. So uh, Charlie has an awesome pedigree, and this is his new album with his brother. And I got to tell you that, you know, I went into it and I was like, well, what's, you know, what's this going to sound like? I, I was kind of unsure about it because... You know, this has happened to me a lot over the past few years where something is so good and you're like, ah, you're you're waiting for the fall. You know, you're you're waiting for something that you really like. And then the next thing that's presented to you to to not come close to it. But I mean, as I get into the conversation with him, it doesn't mean that you can't enjoy the stuff nonetheless. But, you know, you I got to. OK, so these last two D Snyder albums have been great. It's been what I've wanted from, from D since that second Widowmaker album. I know that there are fans of D out there that no matter what he does, he loves. But I personally, this is just my opinion, I wasn't into the uh, Broadway album. And I wasn't into the solo album that he released after where he did We're Not Gonna Take It on Piano and had like a hole and stuff like that. I don't know. It just, it wasn't the angry D that I want, you know, and, and I get it. You know, he wasn't in the right frame of mind or he wasn't in this case, he didn't have the help that he needed to give him music that built that fire in him more than anything to get him to where I wanted him to be. And I need to also say that, um, outside of, uh, Charlie and Nick Belmore, uh, bassist Christopher Taylor uh, Baudet, I guess is how you pronounce it, uh, Baudet. <laughs> um, I'm probably screwing that up. But anyway, he's the third component in the band. I didn't want to leave him out. But uh, yeah, this is an awesome interview. Uh, I know I say that all the time, but this is a lot of fun. When you talk to someone who checks off a lot of boxes, you love the same music, you love sci-fi stuff, you love video games, and you love pro wrestling as well. I mean, these are all things that I'm <laughs> extremely into. And then when you, you run into someone that you're not, you know, not that I'm shy to ever say anything to someone, but you bring certain things up. It's like, holy shit. Yeah. So I have this or I have that or, or whatever, you know, or I've spoken to so-and-so or I've seen that. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll hear plenty of that during the video. Or during the audio. Jesus, I'm thinking of the fact that there's also a, a video version of this that you can check out on YouTube. Uh, this interview, as I will be mentioning later on during this, it is taken directly from the Signals from Mars live stream, 
which happens every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. in the UK, and 12 a.m. Friday going into Saturday. For those of you that are in continental European or in the continental European time zone, I should say. And we had people joining us from Australia. That's 8 a.m. for people that are on Melbourne and Sydney coast. So just do the math if you're anywhere else in the world. But uh, you're free to join us. You can throw questions at whoever we have on the show in the chat. Comment on different things as they're going on tonight. We're going to have a rush special featuring my patrons, which will be a lot of fun. And speaking of my patrons, Mr. Patrons pick Jeremy Weltman is here to give us his pick for the week. And it's almost always a really good album. I kid. It's always something worth checking out. Here we go. Here's Jeremy Weltman with Patrons pick. Hello once again. Time for another patron's pick. Where has that week gone? Unbelievable. It's gone so fast. And I've been listening a lot to Rush this week with a patron special coming up this evening. It'll it'll be when uh, Victor puts up this podcast, I guess. Uh, If you don't have a chance to hear it live, try and uh, listen in later. Um, I'm sure you'll uh, really enjoy it. It's going to be a huge amount of fun. This week, uh, there were... A huge amount of albums. There was uh, the usual uh, 20 albums up there, which included Zeal and Arda, which Victor chose to review himself. There were 19 others. There was a handful of EPs, as usual. There were quite a few reissues uh, by Prong, The Pretty Reckless. There was, there was a reissue by Ed Guy, also by Hexen and others. There was a, a single live album, too, from uh, Alan Parsons. The, uh, this week, I uh, listened to quite a few of them, quite a few of the new studio albums. Uh, there were some good ones from Hangman's Chair and Voivod. really like those. There was some very good melodic stuff from City of Lights. I quite like that one, and I preferred that over Lionville, which was also a, a, quite a decent melodic album if you really like your sort of frontier stuff. Um, I nearly picked, of course, the Slash album, which came out this week. Uh, it's called Slash 4. And it, I thought it was a much better album than the last two that he's released. There were fewer tracks on it for, for a start, and I thought there was a bit more of a laid-back feel to it. That he didn't sort of, um, or the, the band as, uh, as it is with Slash and Miles Kennedy, they didn't really go all full, full throttle as they have on, on, certainly on the last album. There were some really good tracks on there, like Say La Vie, I really like that, and I also like the, the track at the end, Fall Back to Earth. But I liked it all, really, as a sort of um, a whole album together, so I thought that was an excellent, um, an excellent release for them and, and much better than, than the previous two, as I say. But this week I didn't pick that one, and so I'm going to really surprise Victor once again with an outside choice. I've gone for the Swedish metal act The Cult of Luna, with the album The Long Road North. Yes, I can see him almost falling off his chair, not expecting this. It's their ninth album since their debut in 2001. Um, I thought there was a a really good mix of songs on this, from the sort of slow brooding song called An Offering to the Wild, to the uh, almost laid-back, mournful feel of Into the Night, and the growly, tempestuous title track, 
it's all very carefully crafted, really, I thought, to a sort of a Scandinavian snowy winter's night. It also has a very nice piece of art adorning the cover. And I'll be listening to this one uh, again, I think. Um, really like this release by Cult of Luna. It's called The Long Road North. And this week it is Patron's Pick. Okay, so now I just think Jeremy's fucking with me. <laughs> Two weeks in a row. Oh my goodness. He did the Generation Kill last week, which I listened to. I actually got to listen to that today. It was absolutely great. And Cult of Luna, I guess I'll have to be checking that out. I haven't had time to check it out yet, but I'm not going to doubt his pick. Uh, he's been going outside of the box lately. And when he started saying Slash, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I expect that. So I didn't fall out of my chair, Jeremy, but I said, wow. <laughs> oh, man, cool. This is why I love hearing uh, Jeremy's pick. And I usually record this part after his pick is usually the first thing that I record when I'm putting episodes together because I want to make sure that it's a uh, spontaneous reaction to what he's saying. Uh, I do want to thank Jeremy and the rest of my patrons. So let me just give a quick shout out to them. Let me go from oldest to newest. Uh, we have Steve Hoker. We have Jeremy, who just did the patrons pick. We have our Mike Jones. We have Mr. Brad Dahl, who was on last week's show from YargMetal.com. Uh, we have the metal dentist, Gabriel Ruiz. We have Chris Vaglio from the Chris and Amanda show. We have Jose in Connecticut. We have Jerry from Long Island, Metal Dan, who hopefully we will have on here soon to talk about the Monsters of Rock Cruise. We have Johan, the metal chef slash metal politician up in Sweden. We have Ed the Shred Ferguson. We have Anthony Mackey. We have Steven Saylor. And we have my brother, Art. So there you go. I want to thank each and every one of you guys for all of your support. It is greatly appreciated. And I also want to thank the guys over at Clawhammer PR who helped set up this interview with uh, Charlie. Um, it was awesome. It was easy. And these guys are great. They, they rep a lot of different bands, a lot of different types of uh, hard rock and metal bands. And it's kind of cool because with Patreon, uh, as we've added more people to Patreon, I've been able to expand kind of the videos and things that I, that I post mostly videos. Uh, Ed Ferguson, for example, is a huge extreme metal fan. So there's a lot of claw hammer stuff that I am posting on there. And a lot of people, you know, just, if you're wondering what I do on Patreon, I post videos this week. There've been three videos per day. And essentially what happens is um, whether I like the stuff or not that I post just what I'm just what's sent to me by labels and PR people. I post that to Patreon and this diehard group of followers that I have then comment on pretty much all the videos. I mean, I realize some days there's a lot of content. Some days there could be like six videos this week. It's only three per day. So most of them have been getting comments. And then if people deem that a video is good enough, if the song itself is good enough to go on our Patreon or our patron playlist, then that's what we do. We have a master playlist. 
which has everything that's been voted on last year and this year. And we have one that's, we have two separate ones that are for 2021 and 2022. So if the Patreon, if the patrons, excuse me, I keep getting tongue tied here. Uh, If the patrons enjoy the songs enough, then they go there. They go on that playlist. And, you know, sometimes, like I said, there's things that I really don't care about, but I post because, hey, I'm not the only one in there. (laughs) You know, there's a bunch of other people that are there and their opinions are important to me. And shit, they're, you know, if you're a patron, I want to make sure that you're getting the exact experience that I want to get from other people's Patreon page. You know, I've been signed up to other people's uh, Patreon over the years. And yeah, we'll, we'll, you're paying 20 bucks a month and we'll give you one update per month. And it's like, it's like a 20 second update to me. That kind of, you know, makes it seem like I'm not worth, I'm not worthy or I'm not worth it to them. You know, they just want my money, but they don't give a damn if I'm pleased or not by the experience. So I want to make sure that I'm giving you guys the best possible experience with the Patreon. Um, there's videos, there's depending on the tier, there's between one to three exclusive audio podcasts there. Uh, some of them are just audio versions of some of the video uh, videos that I post up on YouTube, but I get it. A lot of people don't want to sit there and be staring at the screen. You know, they're out for a walk, they're driving into work, they're at work, you know, so they just want something else to listen to. So I've been throwing up the uh, audio versions of the Fireside Friday shows and the Trivia Tuesday shows as well, depending on the tier that you follow. And I just mentioned both of those shows. Uh, One is exclusive to, excuse me, exclusive to Twitch. The other one is exclusive to Fireside. Coincidentally, they both take place at 5 p.m. Eastern, uh, 2 p.m. Pacific. 10 p.m. in the UK and 11 p.m. Continental Europe. Uh, That's on Tuesdays. Trivia Tuesdays on Tuesdays. Fireside Fridays on Fridays. It's all in the name there. It's all followed up by the Signals from Mars live stream, which is where this interview with Charlie originally took place. And we're leaving you with the interview now. Thanks and enjoy. Welcome one and all to the February 11th edition of the Signals from Mars live stream brought to you by the Mars Attacks podcast. Uh, Joining me tonight is Mr. Charlie Belmore of Kings and Liars. How are you, sir? Good. How are you doing? I am doing excellent. I'm glad that uh, we were able to uh, hook up. Um, Yeah, I, I got a chance to listen to the album and there i mean not now i mean it's funny because you hear a lot of people talk about oh i got to listen to the album today no the album was sent to me i've been listening to it for a few weeks i've been sharing it on my patreon Mm -hmm. page been getting good feedback from people and you know i see the comments that you guys make on social media and whatnot and um 
I thought it was really cool that when I went to your Facebook, it said that the band was for fans of the Black Album, Dehumanizer, Dirt, yep. Bad Motorfinger, and about 95 other random bands in a blender. And yep. <laughs> <laughs> that jumped out at me. When you say Dehumanizer, are you referring to the Black Sabbath album? Of course. That's I, I believe that's their best album. <laughs> ah, the reason why I say that is because Dehumanizer is my second all-time favorite album, and I believe it is their best album as well. well there you go. Um, the album to me, I mean, is just crushing, heavy. I mean, what else is there not to like about that? And then it's funny because I read Iomi's book, and he kind of craps on the mix on that album. And I've always thought that Vinny's massive drums on that, to me, take that album to another level and just the overall massive sound of the album take to another level to where they hadn't been before. Yeah, I mean, I love um, I love that drumming because it's just so, like, it's almost uncomfortable. Like, there's so yeah. much space. Like, there's, right. there's, there's that line that some people say, like, Oh, well, it's really about the notes he's not playing, but like he that's actually him. <laughs> like, like there's sometimes there's so much space between some of that stuff and you're just like, wow, it sounds like if he was playing more, it would sound uncomfortable. Like it's right. it's perfect. Yeah, I don't think he gets enough credit. I mean, I obviously a lot of people give Bill Ward a lot of props, but I don't think Vinny gets enough credit for being the player that he is, how he rides the ride symbol very heavily when he's playing. I think a lot of doom metal bands, actually the drummers follow what Vinny did more than what Bill did because Bill was more of a, a jazz drummer, was a little bit more, um, I don't want to say focused, but he was all over the place. Whereas Vinny was just a pummeling machine that as yeah. you're seeing, you know, there's that emptiness there where it breathes, but every note that he's hitting counts. Oh, yeah. I just I just love the idea of, uh, you know, a lot of drummers, if they're going like, you know, bass, snare, bass, snare, like the hi-hat is going the whole time. And he's just like, you know, he's only hitting on each note. And in a lot of people's hands, it would sound almost like a beginner kind of thing but he does it with such class and then he'll he'll do a he'll do a fill or something and you're like oh no this guy can destroy you if you wanted to like this is his choice like and it's it slowly goes and goes and um when when i was little like literally the first song i ever heard off that record i was born in 81 so like the first song i ever heard off that record was time machine because it was on the fucking wayne's world soundtrack (laughs) and and as I got older and really just got into stuff at some point, um, like that record would just pop up and disappear and pop up and disappear. And I always dug that record and um, Kings and Liars was always just like this, like fun kind of project band. And I had members kind of coming in and out, but since like the second show, like a million years ago, um, our bass player, uh, Chris Bodet has been in the band and I've known Chris since we were like 14 and our drummer at the time, who was not my brother was just having trouble, 
like sitting behind us, like trying to mm-hmm. fill in what we were doing. And we were just like, okay, you're going to start playing like Vinny Apice on, <laughs> on, on, and then we really just started pushing the whole dehumanizer thing. And like, I always love those riffs. And then when you, when we started like trying to learn how to work with a new drummer and using that album as uh, inspiration, like I just, just loved it more and more and more. And it was just, it's just so awesome. I love it. Yeah. I've, I've gotten to interview Vinny a bunch of times and I'm a drummer myself. So it's always a thrill to speak to him. One of the most disheartening stories I've ever had somebody tell me was that when they did the last album, the heaven and hell album, uh, the devil, you know, yeah, he, he wanted to play. He wanted to do different fills and, and some different things and he wasn't allowed to do it. He basically says that Tony Iommi said, these are my demos. Oh. You need to play what I did on the demos. And if you can't do that, we'll find someone else. He said, you know, much like we moved on from Bill when we did those three tracks on the uh, greatest hits, move to you. We could find somebody else that'd be willing to do, to step in for you as well. And he said, all right, well, I got, I'll, I, if I have to do that, then I'll do it. So that's what he did. He pretty mm. much, you know, mimicked what was on Tony Iommi's original uh, demos. It was kind of sucked hearing that, you know? Yeah, that's a little bit of a bum out. But, I mean, those, um, that album was good. The song that blew me away was on that, the, when they added the um, on the greatest hits, that song, The Devil Cried, because I was just like, you are, I mean, as far as, like, a creative person, you don't normally expect somebody, like, older to be like uber creative you know because at some point everybody's like oh yeah it kind of you know it it levels off at some point and then you just hear those riffs and you're just like how in the hell is tony iomi writing riffs that would make 20 year olds jealous like in his 60s like this is and it would it gets me more inspired like anytime there's an older artist that's just like crushing it it gets me more inspired because you're like they're still doing it like when you hear a young guy do it it inspires me for a different reason. Cause you're like, I didn't think about it like that. But when it's, when it's an older guy doing it, you're just like, wow, I have no idea where they're coming with this, but I know I can find somewhere if they can find it. Yeah. Very cool. Um, as you mentioned, the band has been around together for a while, Kings and liars, and you got to just put out uh, transition animals yep. a few weeks back. What, why exactly did it make sense to put this album out now? Did it have to do with the pandemic? Did you guys have songs lying around? Did you have time and you just wanted to keep writing stuff? Why exactly did the album come together? Well, it was, we had a, um, if uh, I'm, I'm sure there's, you know, I mean, anybody, we had another singer for two different EPs and in 2019, uh, my brother and I were on tour with D Snyder and um, we could talk about that at some point, but um, we got home from D Snyder and we wanted to track this record. We had a bunch of ideas. You know, I had demos cause I just write, I'm a, I'm a psychopath. Like I'll, I, I'll write like, you know, 20 to 40 songs a year and that's like a slow year. <laughs> so <clears throat> I'm just always writing. And um, so I had these songs and we had like, just like rough, you know, rough sketches of vocals and stuff like that. And um, 
we got home from the detour. Why don't we record this? And all of a sudden, our our singer just we got an offer to play a show with uh, with Rat in New Haven, where we're from. Mm-hmm. And we were like, oh, that would be kind of fun to play with Rat. That's that sounds fun. And, uh, you know, we haven't played a show in Connecticut in a while. And our singer just kind of didn't get back to us. And we are texting him like, hey, man, uh, you know, and, I, you know, anybody that's listening or watching or whatever, there's there's always that one guy in like the the band text that just never fucking responds. And you have to leave the band text and text them privately like, hey, man, can you answer the band text? We're trying to figure out what time practice is. And like so our singer was always kind of that guy. And he just wasn't. He finally just wrote us and just said, like, I'm not in I'm not in the headspace or place that I want to do the band right now. Right. And I just I just um, like that punk rock kind of hardcore thing that I, I just grew up on <laughs> growing up in the East Coast. I just said, I don't care. I already said yes to the show. Do you want to do it, basically? Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to do it, we'll just figure it out. And we're going to have a friend fill in. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then finally, um, a D's manager <laughs> um, who, you know, books all our shows, he just said, well, I don't understand. Why aren't you just singing? And I was <laughs> like, well, I, you know, I'm not very good. And he was like, he's like, no, you're an idiot. You should just do it. And um, and then the other, our bass player, Chris, who sings on the new record, too, he's also a singer. And I said, why don't we just do like that Alice in Chains thing where we um you know one of us sings the verse one of us sings the chorus and we'll just go back and forth and just we'll just fill it in and see if it works and we played that one show with rat and just um like lit the place up and it was awesome and we kind of just looked at each other like why did we have a singer in the first place i don't understand like right. it was just you know we we both just didn't want to sing you know if to use a another uh whatchamacallit <laughs> use another allison chains analogy I just wanted to be Jerry Cantrell. I didn't want to do the whole thing. And, um, but the moment we were playing together, my brother, myself and, and Chris on bass, we've been playing in various projects since we were little kids and we never really played just as us three. And it just made so much sense. We were like, all right, let's do this. My baby was born, uh, January 2nd, 2020. And we are planning, uh, you know, once the baby's, you know, once the baby's moving around, I'll start coming down and we'll finish these vocals. You know, I'll write more lyrics, blah, 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 blah. Then the pandemic hit and we were like, well, let's we'll, we'll record. We we finished the vocals at some point and then we were like, oh, we'll release it in a month or two because this will be done really soon. It's not a big deal. And we just at some point over last summer, we just said, hell with it. Let's just put out a lyric video for uh, We Are Alive. Mm-hmm. and um uh our friends at salt of the earth just wrote us and said hey if you got more songs like that we're interested and i we were like we have a whole record so let's let's do it and it just it was just perfect it was just perfect timing awesome um you said that you write 20 to 40 songs on a bad year yeah. uh, how do you differentiate what's going to be kings and liars and what's going to go to one of the other projects? Uh, um, it's basically if I don't have if I don't have any, you know, kind of jobs going on, um, 
uh, it everything is just kind of four kings and liars in a sense. <laughs> um, okay. But uh, like when the pandemic first started, um, you know, now you know D's talked about it in interviews and all this kind of stuff, but. Um, August, August, uh, 2000, uh, 2019, he just said, Hey guys, I'm retiring. I'm playing the last show. We have a show in Switzerland with Alice Cooper. We'll be direct support for Alice Cooper. And then I'm gone. And <clears throat> we're like, Oh, okay, great. Um, <clears throat> I guess, you know, that sucks, but whatever. And he goes, well, I'll take, I'm going to take a year off and maybe we'll talk in 2021. Who knows? And then the pandemic hit. And, you know, we were talking a lot because he was excited for me to have a baby and all this, all this stuff. And we would be going on back and forth. And I just said, he's not asking for it, but I don't give a shit. I'm just writing him a record. I'm just willing it like the the first album, uh, Josta kind of willed to life. And, you know, he texted me and said, where are those riffs you wrote for blah, 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 blah. And he just started putting these songs together. And I just said, I don't give a shit. I'm, I'm willing this album to life. and. I wrote all uh, the majority of those songs. I sent them to the other guitar player to write dueling guitar parts. And I, I just mm-hmm. went ham on it. And so that was a very, very focused thing. But any other times it, it just depends, you know, if Josta says, Hey, I'm looking for some riffs, you know, for kingdom of sorrow or Josta or, you know, corpse grinder wants to do a record in my mind. I just know, I'm just writing right now and whatever comes out goes to that project. Gotcha. And um, I think that's the only way to do it. Um, when I was younger, I had a full-time job trying to do the band stuff. And my, my boss was just like, just remember you can never have two masters and you're trying to get me to quit music, but I just quit the job instead. But, <laughs> um, but uh, I do think that's kind of like that with music like you don't want to you know you don't want to cheat you don't want to cheat d or you know Mm -hmm. cheat jamie or something if you're writing if you just write a great song you don't want to just say oh well i won't give that to d i'll give that to me you know and it's it's it it makes it like you don't really care you know so um like when i finished the d album I had nothing else. You know, we probably, I probably wrote 25 songs for it and we used about 11. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, I used every single thing I had just cause I just said, I'm just gonna, this is my project right now. Gotcha. Okay. So there's never been something that you've presented and uh, they've come back and said, now we can't use this on this album. And then it's ended up on a Kings and Liars album. <clears throat> um, well, te- uh, let's see. Uh, technically, technically, the uh, the REM cover actually uh, was okay. that we had a um, we were gonna. There was a point I can't remember what what damn year it was, but we were gonna do like an an EP year or something with D after for the love of metal, and we were mm-hmm. kind of you know jazzed up about doing doing it, and they wanted to do a cover, and we were just going through bands and going through bands and going through bands and. Somebody said REM, like, what are their hits? And we're listing down their hits. And I was like, oh, that fire part might be there. Might There's something in that that fire, like the chorus, like there's something there. Right. And um, everybody just kind of like, eh, I don't know. And I just heard it and I just kind of hummed it in my head. I drove home 
recorded the demo. I sang it. And um, I said, hey, guys, I, I did a little demo of this REM song. I really want you guys to hear it. And they're like, ah, we moved on. And then I was like, all right, if you don't even want to hear it, maybe it'll be something else. And it uh, at some point it ended up just kind of falling into, uh, you know, the Kings and Liars lap. But yeah, with with most riffs, I like to in my mind, uh, like. Uh, like day old bread is sold cheaper for a reason. Like if, <laughs> if I didn't think it was great in D or Jasta or Corpse Grinder or Kingdom of Star or Kings and Liars, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it probably means it's just not good, you know? So I should right. just, I could just move on, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's smarter than like just, you know, trying to rehash that idea in 25 bands. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> Cause I have enough bands that I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's funny that you bring that up. Um, cause I wrote about the album when it came out, I do a new releases post on my website and I wrote mm-hmm. about that and I mentioned how I always thought that the, the one I love would have always been a great metal cover. And, you know, I get, well, that's awesome. Yeah. So I get all of these promos all the time and I listen to them. You know, a lot of times you're, I'm doing other stuff. I'm writing stuff I'm doing web design or whatever. And then I'm listening to the music in the background and I'm hearing the song kick in and I'm listening to the lyrics and I start singing to the lyrics. I'm like, holy shit, somebody finally fucking covered this. (laughs) I'm like, this is one of those songs that I've always said since the first time that I heard it. There needs to be a, a metal version of this song because there are, you know, certain songs where you hear them and you're like, you know what? You, this can be easily like transferred over or you hear like a lot of times, like I'll hear like a, like a pop singer who's got like a, a ridiculous voice. And I'm like, you know what? They need to do a fucking metal album because it could yeah. totally take advantage of the range that they have, not just the cookie cutter shit that they're doing at the moment. So when I heard that, I was like, yes, this is a song that I th- always thought would be great. So I That's think it's awesome. awesome that you guys did it. Yeah. And the yeah. other thing too, is that it, it is a hit of theirs, but it wasn't like you guys did losing my religion or something that like you're yeah. hearing a million and one times on the radio anyway. So it's going to be a throwaway because no one's going to listen to it. So this way you guys did, it is a hit, but it's a, a deeper hit. And I think it works really well. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah. I've, I, for years, because I like all kinds of music. I'm sh- I'm sure you do too. But um, yeah. like, I always I always wanted to cover like um, an REM song, a police song, mm-hmm. and a Talking Head song. And I always said, there's to me like me writing. They're so hard to do mm-hmm. because they have such a specific sound right. that it's really really hard like to cover it unless you're just covering it like an exact copy. Right. And because they're so, they're so weirdly unique. Like it's, I've tried to cover like 10 talking head songs and it's, they're the weirdest. I have no idea where (laughs) their influence came from. It's insane. Right. It's, it's always fascinating. Like David Burns talent and all that stuff. It's amazing. But Mm -hmm. I can't for the life of me figure out how to do a cover. I've tried so many times and they always just sound like weird, cheesy, you know, like, you know, corny covers that kind of are just the same song. Right. And 
when I bumped into this, I was like, wow, I actually get to do one of them. Like I never thought I'd actually figure these out. So now I'm like right. obsessed with trying to get a police one or a talking heads one. in. I, I probably have more shot of getting, figuring out how to do a police cover than I do talking heads. But so, so it's interesting you bring that up because for example, velvet revolver covered psycho killer. Yeah. And it's I think that's like the easiest same. song to do, but you have to do it the same way. Right. And then Anthrax covered uh, No Time This Time, which is a police song. And again, they did yeah. it almost, you know, uh, note for note like the original. So, so it's I get hard what to change them. Like yeah. A lot of other songs you could change easily, you know, but they're so specific because they have they just had those weird voices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you, you think of especially I think with the police. Again, a lot of people think of the hits. I think Synchronicity is my least favorite album of theirs because it's probably the least eclectic. But you think of something like, I don't know, like uh, Canary in a Coal Mine or Man in a Suitcase or something like that, like a deeper track where it's just got this certain feel and a certain way that it's done that, you know, I get what you're saying, that if you want to kind of deconstruct it and make it your own way, it's hard yeah. to kind of kind of put the pieces back together so i get what you're saying yes <laughs> it's it's definitely a trip but i love that you actually dug that song that's that's so yeah. cool that you were like that should be a metal song <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely um how difficult is it to have your brother as a producer um hmm. um that's <laughs> Um, when I was younger, it was one of the most frustrating things in the world because right. basically his, there was a point where we bought him a shirt because you'd, you'd record something and then through your ears, cause he didn't have like early when he was younger, he didn't have like the best bedside manner when he was tracking. So he <laughs> would just go like, you just like, he would stop and then he would just go do it again. And that was it. It was just do it again. Like, nope, you didn't get it. Do it again. And, um, but now like when we're writing stuff together or sometimes, you know, we'll be writing a song, like, you know, whether a D song or a Jasta song <laughs> with Jamie and we're like tweaking stuff. And if we're all in the same room, like I might just say a random thing to my brother because we have a short, you know, like we've got a dialogue that nobody else understands because we're brothers. And I'm like, oh, what if we did, you know, like, what if we did an anthrax part over this thing? And, and Nikki's mm -hmm. like, oh, all right. And then he like makes a new channel and I start doing this thing. And Jamie will be like, the hell are you guys talking about? It doesn't sound like anthrax. And we're like, don't, don't worry about it. It makes sense in our brains. It makes sense. And it's just like, <laughs> it's this little thing. And, um, but we have such a, like a, like a, we, we have such a close relationship. And when we were kids, our parents just said, like, if you guys are fighting, you can't be in the band. And <laughs> besides like slight little arguments, like it's pretty, it's pretty goddamn easy. I mean, um, we're definitely more of a, uh, like an Eddie and Alex and a Vinny and dime than we are the guys from fucking oasis you know what i mean right <laughs> makes sense um so that i'm guessing that you guys lived in a very musical household growing up i mean did your parents uh influence you guys getting into music or at least did they encourage it 
Yeah, my my dad was like in cover bands like before we were born, and then after you know when we were little, and he just played bass, and they would practice in our house, you know. So we'd like be at the top of the stairs, like looking down in the basement, like what are like what are those men, you know, what are those men downstairs doing? Like they're making all this noise, and um, I had asked my dad at like I think nine or something. I just said, listen, I want to. Will you teach me how to play bass? And he said, no, I. <laughs> um, I would do a bad job. So, cause I learned somebody just taught me by ear. So I would just teach you by ear. I'm going to send you to a teacher and you're going to learn guitar. And in my mind, I was like crushed because I was like, well, this is going to take forever, you know? And I was just angry. And, but he, he just always encouraged us. And um, like when we were little, you know, we're like 15 or whatever, like for Christmas, I got a Gibson flying V. My brother got this gorgeous drum set, like, you know, like just like Lars, a fucking nine piece, like white Tama drum set, like oh, the whole thing. Right. And like, we didn't know when we were little, but when we like later in life, we were told like, you know, even though that was, it wasn't like the nicest Lars drum set, it was like, whatever, you know, a thousand dollars or something. And my guitar was 800 or whatever. And it was like 2000 bucks, but we didn't find out till we were older that like, you know, he was like paying that off for six months. Like, you know, he didn't have a lot of money, but right. he told us when we were older, he was like, well, that's what you guys wanted to do. Like, if you guys wanted to be computer designers, I would have, you know, bought you a bunch of hard drives and, you know, Ethernet cable. And we would have went like that. Like, that's just what you wanted to do. So right. why wouldn't I encourage it? And um. It's uh, yeah, he's always they were always very, very cool. They didn't listen to heavy metal. Um, obviously, um, my dad loves the Beatles. My mom loves like the kinks. Uh, we had an uncle that just loved metal. And it, so it just kind of clicked. And then, you right. know, I was like 10 when Smells Like Teen Spirit came out. So that basically kind of, you know, locked it at that point. <laughs> I was like, well, I was just trying to figure out guitar and I'm like, I love Jimi Hendrix, but this crap is so hard. And then I heard, I heard like smells like teen spirit. And I'm like, this guy's like almost as good as me. Like I can figure this out. And <laughs> just the basics you could fit. Like I could figure out a Nirvana song. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I was older that I was like, and some people disagree with me and whatever, but I was like, wow, this guy really knew what he was doing. Like he was really using simplicity like to the max. And, yeah. um, but it certainly helped me get inspired to write. You know what I mean? Like it was, right. I didn't know that you could write. I was just like, Oh, mm -hmm. that's what like famous people do. And <laughs> then I heard like this, uh, you know, this guy that looked like he was homeless, you know, with Kirk Cobain. And I was like, Oh no, you could just be a regular dude and write like, this is cool. And yeah, it helped. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember Zach wild around the time that, you know, new metal was the thing. They yep. um, they brought up um, how, you know, oh, well, Nirvana destroyed, you know, uh, metal music and, you know, and soloing went away because of them. And he said, no, no, no. He said, Kurt soloed on everything. He said, Kurt knew melody. You know, whether yep. you think his stuff is is simplistic or not, he goes, listen to his solos. His solos are often you know um the melody of the of the chorus just being played on a guitar so he was yes. you know kurt no you're wrong you know kurt actually wanted to extend 
you know, that sort of, you know, verse, chorus, verse, solo, chorus structure that he grew up listening to. And I remember, you know, I, I saw that Zach had said it in, in a few different interviews. So, um, so yeah, to, to your point, I think for as much crap as they got, I do think that it helped, you know, get a lot of people into picking up instruments. And then later on, you know, like yourself, everyone channels different things and goes off yeah. in, in different directions. So, and my, you know, my, my brother, um, it's a shame he won't, like he doesn't like to do interviews because he doesn't like to talk and stuff like that. Um, but right. he likes to be the silent type. Um, but he's a drummer and, mm -hmm. you know, so you guys would, would get along. And, um, yeah. but like, you know, he heard, he heard Dave Grohl and it was like, well, that's it. You know, like, I, I don't know what that guy's doing, but it's, it's goddamn great. And, um, um, and then, you know, he, he found like, he found, uh, you know, Lars and Dave Grohl and later on, you know, found like the Danzig records with Chuck Biscuits and everything. And oh, yeah, mm -hmm. like my my brother, if he really if he really goes, he could shred so many people. But we've always just been like those, like just focus on the pocket, you mm -hmm. know, just focus on the riff, focus on the song and all that kind of stuff. And um, it's. I don't know all that stuff from the early nineties, like totally just, just got me. Um, and it, they, you know, it's very, very true what they say about like, it's like that right around that period, like it all just clicks with you, you know? And, mm -hmm. um, like I've, I've heard a lot of people say like, Oh, you know, I hate the black album and I hate reload and I hate sound of white noise. And they're like a fan of mine on my, on my Facebook page. And I'm like, well, how can you hate those and like for the love of metal and um, leave a scar? Because I could literally write down where I took some of those ideas from on those very albums. And they're like, well, I, I, I didn't know all that. And you're like, yeah, it's the inf influence comes from wherever it comes from. You know, like it's 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 important. Yeah. Unfortunately, there are a lot of metal heads out there that before throwing their opinions out, look over their shoulders and want to say, oh, this <laughs> cool to say that the black album wasn't or or whatever i i was going to bring up the sound of white noise um later on because i had seen that someone asked you that on uh, on twitter said something you know i'm hearing sound of white noise on leave a scar yeah. and you responded with something like it's totally sound of white noise yeah <laughs> um so and i mean i love the i mean i love every era of anthrax but that bush era speaks to me more than anything else so when i saw yeah. you say that i'm like fuck you know I, I i loved it and you know i go to bat for the album load all the time because i'm like okay i always use food analogies because i th i think it's dumb when people want you know you released leave a scar leave a scar isn't supposed to replace stay hungry it's nope. supposed to be something else on the menu for you to enjoy. Yeah. It's not going to be. It's it's very difficult for someone that's in their 40s, 50s, or even younger than that, that's been listening to Stay Hungry and, and, and all of these classic stuff and think that a new album is going to have that same emotional connection. You know, a lot of music is all about the emotion and how you connect to that album 
the period in time where you yep. first listened to that album. Um, and I don't, I don't get why people are so fickle where they can't accept the fact that m- great new music comes out all the time. It doesn't have to replace your favorite. It's something else that you can listen to and enjoy just the same. So for people to say, you know, well, the black album sucks. The black album is what got me into Metallica. Um, Sound of white noise. I loved it from the first time that I heard that, you know, the, the, the sound of white noise during Potter's field at the beginning of, of that album. Yeah. This is a journey into sound. (laughs) So I mean, I, I always, there's so many people, especially in the metal world, drummers are not drummers. They will, um, they'll always, they'll always talk shit about Lars Ulrich. I mean, it's it's like a, it's like heavy metal's favorite pastime is is to talk, talk shit to Lars Ulrich. And I always say, go to a Metallica show, or just I'm gonna turn on the radio right now. You and then you air drum his fills, and they can air drum them immediately. And I said, that's priceless. Mm-hmm. You he's doing a fucking drum fill. And the entire world knows what it is. Mm-hmm. How how are you not? How, you can't you can't you can't you can't touch that. I'm sorry. Like it's yeah. at the end of the day, you're like it's this it's the simplest thing in the world, but we all know it. Like it's that's untouchable. Like it's yeah. it's so important. If the music can live forever, I mean that's it's 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 a work of art at that point. Yeah, the the Lars argument to me has always been bullshit, and I actually posted something about this on um, on my Patreon lately, or recently, I should say. Because as a drummer, I still remember trying out for, for a covers band and being told, well, who are your biggest influences? I said, well, you know, uh, Charlie Benante is probably my biggest influence. I can't play exactly like him, but mm-hmm. he writes a lot of the music and, you know, he does a lot more than just drum on the stuff and i was told oh well drummers don't write good music i'm like <laughs> to say this and the whole lars thing lars has written or arranged every metallica song except for two mm. now for as much people want to say oh well he's not the best drummer in the big 4 he's not the best this he's not the best that it's all revisionist history because he's also not trying to be right. It's not, you don't have to be the best drummer. Like the Phil Rudd is not on stage with ACDC just but like, Oh, I'm going to fucking wreck everybody tonight. And it's like, no, he's going to, he's going to end your life with a four, four beat. And like, I won't say names, but there's a lot of technical drummers that are in famous bands that couldn't play ACDC. Yes. And, Let's be honest. That's important. That's important to be able to do. Like you can't. I, I'm hearing what you're doing, and I know for a fact you cannot play a four four beat if I paid you. Yeah. Well, I had. Um, I was interviewing a band at the rehearsal thing once at the rehearsal place, and the drummer w- or the guitarist was just jamming some stuff, and I said, "Oh, can I jam along with you?" Yeah, yeah, no problem. Hey, you sound like um, like that guy from Rage Against the Machine, which you were playing. I go, well, I probably sound more like John Bonham, who is the guy that. Yeah. <laughs> and 
And I had I had somebody tell me, oh well, that's not difficult to play. You know, you're not using double bass. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. I said, yeah, okay. So you can kick my ass doing, you know, playing at 220 beats per minute. I said, yeah. but, but you know, all this shit is all carbon copy now. There's so many people that it's like a, an Olympic event. Oh well, let's see how many notes we can we can fit in this song instead of servicing the song and getting the the best thing into the song i i still remember there was an exchange on twitter a few years ago between mike portnoy and matt sorum yeah and, and he said um why do you play the same fill every so many bars in don't cry and he responded with remember it was no it was uh november rain the november gun, rain gun. Go, 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 go. <laughs> the whole song. Yeah. Almost the whole record, I think, he does that fill. Right. And he says, well, first of all, I was an employee and I was playing yeah. what I was told to be played. And he said, second of all, in 100 years, people are going to remember Ringo Starr, um, uh, Charlie Watts, John Bonham, and a few other players. He said, no one's going to give a shit if you could if you could hit a splash symbol um every every eight notes yep <laughs> so, and then portnoy responded with something like good point and that was the end of the conversation unfortunately sometimes and yeah there's a lot of fucking ridiculous players out there but we've also gotten to the point where a lot of these guys are studio players and then live they're not playing the shit live because i've yeah. seen a lot of quote unquote big name players and i've I've been playing since 83. I've never once seen somebody play and not seen a, a bass drum head move. Um, <laughs> I, you know, uh, and the other thing too is a band that's about to go out on tour. They're so well known for being technically proficient players. And I saw them in concert and it was all fucking recorded. I'm like, are you kidding me? And these guys are known for being like the biggest shred masters ever to come out of you know, the biggest power metal band ever. And they recorded. We, we were at a festival. We walked away when we saw this. We saw that the song the song had ended and they were still playing and we were right in front of the stage. <laughs> what we, the fuck? We, uh, um, you know, obviously we played many, many festivals with D, um, you know, so I'm not throwing any particular band under the bus and I never would because, um, uh, you know, whatever. Everybody wants to do their thing. They can do their thing. but. Um, uh, 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 D's guy, you know, his road manager that's always on the road with us always laughs because, you know, we'll do all the monitors and we set up all the guitars and everything. And the sound guy or the monitor guy is like, oh, are you guys running any tracks? And we just like, we did like my brother and I just had this disgusted look like tracks. What? We're not running tracks. Right. Who's running tracks here? Like this, this is a fucking metal festival. And he's just yeah. like, You'd be surprised. And you're just like, all right, well, don't ask me again because <laughs> I'm not running tracks here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, getting back to uh, transition animals. Now that you've worked with D, with Josta, with all this, these big name legendary players, did that put more pressure on you? with this album to say, Hey, you know what? People are going to say, these are the guys that are playing behind these, these people. So we have to kind of live up to that name as well. Uh, yeah. Um, a thing I did with, 
I mean, especially with the two D albums, you know, if I would write a chorus and stuff, or I love, I love writing a riff that's um, like uh, shit. What are the song names? Uh, the song on Leave a Scar called Before I Go, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like an Ozzy esque kind of groove in the verses, and then it's like this big radio chorus kind of deal, and then in the middle of the song, it's just like a hardcore breakdown. And mm-hmm. uh, my brother, and he's, my brother will always say this. He says this with a lot of the King songs too. He's just like, oh, th- this part's too heavy for that song. And I'm just like, no, 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 no. Just, just let's just see how it goes. And, and then, you know, um, you know, D writes vocals to it. And since is there's a, there's a little melody over the vocals and then I do a solo and I'm like, all right, I just I just slipped like a hardcore riff into a, a song that we want to put on the radio. And I love writing riffs that are too heavy um, for what I'm trying to do. And I love writing like choruses that are like too melodic for the genre. So that's a thing that I do in everything. And when we really went through the Kings and Liars stuff, I just said, I have to, we do have to go as as hard as possible on these songs mm-hmm. to make sure like um um hang on for dear life like the opening song i remember my brother just saying this verse riff is too heavy and the chorus is like it's just four chords and it's too basic and i was like well let's just figure out all the notes you know right and then i figure out all the notes and everything magically is okay. And because I'm just like, listen, I, I like writing. I mean, I grew up listening to the Beatles and the kinks in the car every goddamn day with my parents. And it's like, I want to write those choruses and then just like have a riff that sounds like it could be from, you know, whether it's Metallica or Slayer or hate breed or botch or dissolved or whatever, you know, (laughs) any kind of hardcore metal band, I want those in there too, because it's everything I do. I want all those riffs. And um see, I, I definitely tried to push as hard as I could. I wanted the choruses to be like the best choruses that I've ever done so far. And mm-hmm. um I mean I've I, I, I definitely feel I we accomplished that as a team, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. You're obviously from Connecticut as Josta. Um, how did you first connect with him? Um, we were like, we were just, well, you know, we're just a couple years younger than him, but we had a local hardcore band. We were playing shows. We met him outside of a club one day and we were just kind of shooting the breeze with him. And he just had this epiphany and he goes, you were those kids. You're those kids with the nice gear. Cause I had like, I just had a Marshall half stack, but it was nicer than like, you know, like a half on fire crate half stack that all the other bands did. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have the nice drum set too, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he said, listen, if you want to open one of our shows, um, like, you know, because he he used to book shows everywhere. Right. And it was, you know, it wasn't a hate show. It was just a show of his. And he said, there's a band coming down from upstate New York or from, you know, New Jersey, one time Brazil. And he just said, if they could use your stuff. Um, you could open the show. Mm-hmm. And we just, we just started doing that. And then at some point it was like, Hey, that other band's going to open and you guys will play second. 
And mm-hmm. it was just that for years. And then, you know, he blew up and like went crazy with Hatebreed and Headbangers Ball and all that stuff. And he was looking for he was looking for a studio to do like an ESPN record. Like they wanted they were asking artists to do like this, these backing track things for ESPN and right. Zach Wild had one too and a yeah. bunch of other people. And they they asked us and you know, he was like, I, I need a studio, I need a studio. And one of my friends just said, Oh, the guys that used to be in my band, you know, it was the it was the singer. And he's like, Oh, you know, Nikki and Charlie, the Belmore brothers have a studio. And we just went in there and just started working with them and basically convinced him that we were good. You know, he wanted to do a band where he just played like hate read songs out of barricade essentially originally. Right. <laughs> and he's like, I'm, I think I'm going to write my own. I think I'm not sure. And we did like a bunch of hardcore covers and all that kind of stuff. And we just put a band together and we played. And then at some point it was, Hey, why don't you guys hang out and we'll write this record. And, mm-hmm. but it was just, it was kind of just hard work and hustle. I mean, that's, he just, he was like, Oh, these guys just don't stop. And they always put in, you know, the, the, the best effort possible. And so I got, I want to work with these guys. Cool. So uh, I'm, I'm assuming that gargantuan soul has used your equipment at one point or the other. Um, no, we've had to, we've opened for Gargantua Soul before, okay. um, but they were always, they were a little bit earlier than us. So they were, okay. they had their own thing. They had, they had, they had bigger stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and real quickly, my one time that I've seen Hatebreed, again, Josta made a lasting impression on me because the band on before them at this festival was Journey. Oh, wow. And he, came out and said it he said or no, was it journey? well no journey was two bands before it was either it was either machine head or marilyn manson was on before them but anyway he this came already out the most con- confusing show i've ever heard <laughs> journey and marilyn manson yeah oh well wow uh, he he actually said and it was true he said fucking journey came out and kicked everyone's ass because they didn't play any ballads they just came out and played all just like more rocking songs. They kind of figured out who they were playing for. And he was like, you know, thanks to those guys. Thanks to this band. So it was like really cool. You know, you could tell he was like a real fan who, you know, was just glad to be there and check all these, these bands out. Um, He is, he is an insane fan. Uh, He called me one time and he was like, what are you doing tomorrow? Mm -hmm. And, I wasn't doing anything. And he was like, I have two tickets to the Sirius XM Apollo Metallica show. Like, <laughs> whatever. Fifth row or some shit. Right. You want to come? And I was like, yeah, of course I do. They're my favorite band. And we're sitting in the same row as Howard Stern. Like, we're right there. Like, we're like six people away from Howard Stern and Ralph and all the all the guys on that show. Right. And um, he uh like uh what should I call uh master of puppets comes on and right before the harmony kicks in you know the middle section the quiet part he just goes he was just like it's okay if you cry it's okay if you cry this is the greatest day of my life and he was just scream he was so excited and he was just like he was just he was like a little kid you're just having a blast and you're like yeah. i like 
that he is where he is, but he could just still go to a show and make jokes and just be into the songs like he's 15 years old. And that's yeah. that's how you're supposed to see a show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I agree 100%. Um, yeah, I, I tried to get him on to talk about the Misfits once and we just couldn't line that up. But yeah. Oh. Um, so how how did you go from working with him to working with D because obviously, you know, there's all this uh, like urban legend behind it that Josta approached D to, to work on material. Um, but from there, how did you guys become the guys that were gonna, gonna work on that? Was that the plan the entire time or did, you know, um, definitely. I'm not sure. They they had a podcast. They talked about it. Um, the line that D, uh, that D said was, you know, you write it and I'll sing it because he didn't trust himself because it was the same thing that like like he like he told you all those years ago. Mm -hmm. I'm not angry anymore. I don't know how to write this. And right. the second record, Leave a Scar, he did write, uh, which was cool. But um, mm -hmm. he was like, I don't know how to write this. So you do it. My brother and I were in a band called Toxic Holocaust. I was played guitar. He played drums. Mm -hmm. We were playing a show with Venom Inc. Uh, in New York. And Jamie called me and said, hey, you a while ago, you sent me this demo uh, called American Made. Um, mm -hmm. Is it in the Dropbox? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's in our Dropbox. And he goes, where is it? And I was like, I'll send you a link. And he goes, OK, there's all these other riffs that I really liked, too. Can I send those? And I'm like, uh, what are you sending them to? And he goes, well when do you get home? And I'm like, tomorrow. And he goes, can we be in the studio tomorrow? And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like I'm on the phone, just like confused. Like I'm waiting to load in. And I'm like, why, why do you need American made? Like what we're writing an American song now. I don't understand. And he goes, well, I just did a podcast with D Snyder and I think this song will really work. And I'm like D Snyder, not like Dean Snyder. So this isn't like a fake thing. This is a real D. Yeah. yeah real D twisted sister. And we went into the studio. It was like a it was like a Wednesday. I'm not kidding. It was Wednesday. We're in the studio tracking this idea. We tracked another one of the songs on the record. Uh, I think Running Mazes. We had two or three songs we tracked in like a day and a half. And the second day on Thursday, he's like, "Okay, so on Sunday, D's going to be here to sing American Made." And I we were just like, oh, "Hold on, what?" And D's really coming here. He's coming to our little studio in Milford, Connecticut, and he's going to sing the song because he was in he was in Long Island seeing his uh, seeing his family. Right. And he drove up, drove up here in some cool car and got out and, you know, it was like looked like a rock star. And I was like, I can't believe D Snyder standing here. This is weird. And the first note he hit is still on the record on that song American Made like there's like a big scream when the song starts mm -hmm. and that was the first thing he did. And we didn't know he was going to do it. He just hit it. And it was so goddamn cool. And we finished a song after whatever, 20 minutes, you know, him doing a couple takes, like it was uncomfortably fast, like how quick he worked. <laughs> and he just said, who, who wrote this song? And Jamie said, Oh, Charlie wrote this whole thing. He wrote the lyrics, he wrote the music, everything. We worked on the middle part together, but it's all Charlie. And, He's like, Charlie, th th this is incredible. This is incredible. Um, we got the record deal with like that and like one other song. 
and then just wrote the whole thing had contributors you know bring stuff in as well and since we already wrote we had a, we had a bunch of ideas that we wrote with jamie or that i had written so we were using we're like yeah we'll just i'll just play all the guitars and bass and nikki will play the drums and we just assumed like they he had a band so we just assumed that the band would just learn it and we would just we would just go back to touring with toxic holocaust you know playing punk rock right. shows and he called me uh d like called me randomly I didn't even know he had my number and he was like, Hey, you know, D Snyder, how are you? And, um, uh, I want you to join the band and I want you to be the music, musical director and build me the band. And, um, I know you have a tour with toxic in August, but the record comes out in July and I want you and Nikki there and I'll find a fill in for the show in August. And then you guys are it after that. And, um, I like I remember the random road that I was driving on. He was like, "Yeah, just you just it would just be easier." I mean, it, you have such a style with your hands and stuff. I I, I just want to I just want you in the band. I, I it would just be better. And <laughs> I was just it was just one of those like, "What the hell is happening right now?" kind of moments. Like you just don't right. realize. Like I I wrote I wrote multiple songs in like two days, and then a rock star showed up at my stu- at my brother's studio. And now it's like six months later and he's asked me to join his band. Like, I don't even know what the hell's happening, but right. it was just a complete whirlwind. <laughs> At what time did that pinch me moment like wear off? Has it worn off? I mean, is, is, is the, there a point where you become like comfortable with that whole situation? No, I'm just like, I'm just like a 10 year old on stage. Like when I play with him, it's just so great. Right. Um, the biggest pinch me moment was our first rehearsal. Like I had had, I had been like drilling the band for like six weeks, like before D showed up. And then we went to this big, this big, like rock and roll rehearsal studio and we're jamming and we get to, uh, uh, burn in hell. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm born in 1981. I need to stress that. And we're playing and playing. And the quiet part, and D's singing, and then like the music kicks in, and I don't kick in. And he says, "Stop, stop, 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 stop." He goes, uh, "Charlie, you missed that part." And I was like, "Yeah, I know. Uh, don't ask why. Uh, just we'll do it again." And he goes, "Well, now I I want to know why." I was like, "Well, my whole world was just like." melting down in my brain because I was like waiting for like Pee Wee and Godzilla to come through. <laughs> right. Because I was having this like childhood explosion of like, I'm playing with this dude right now. And then our, our first like big show we played in Barcelona for like 40,000 people. It was our right. second show with D we played one small show in, uh, in Israel and we flew to Barcelona and like um, just standing in front of an audience when you're doing like, I want to rock or we're not going to take it is like, like a religious experience. Like right. I've never heard that kind of it's the, when the rock comes out, like you could almost feel it. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. weird. <laughs> like it just, Rock, and you're like, oh my god, <laughs> like how did, how is there like that? So many people just doing it, and 
that show on For the Love of Metal, we had a song called Become the Storm. Mm-hmm. And there's like woes in the chorus. And during the second run through the chorus, the audience is singing the woes. Like they figured it out in the first chorus and they're singing the woes to a new song. And like D's singing with his mic and he comes over and looks at me and he pulls the mic away and goes, Oh shit. And then just runs back over. Like, and all all of a sudden he was a little kid. And I was like, I love that. Like he can still just enjoy music and just have a goddamn blast up there. And it's, it's just great, but it never, sometimes you're like, Oh, we got to rehearse and then we got to fly to the show. And I'm, you know, it's, you got to do all this stuff. Cause we, a lot of times we just do one-offs with D. So sometimes mm-hmm. it feels like, Oh, this is kind of annoying. And then like you show up to the show and you're like, all right, we're playing a show. And then when D gets there, it, it's all gone because you're like, no, I'm playing with D Snyder. Like it's still, it's still the best fucking day. Cause right. I don't care. Like, I would fight people. D is absolutely in the top echelon of front men. As far as you give that guy a mic and you need 10 seconds to fill, (laughs) he will fill it with words that get that audience going. And I've never, there there's been, there's been moments where the audience seems a little flat and you could tell that D can tell. And then, the next song, even if it was supposed to go right into something, he'll stop it and then just fix it. He'll tell a goddamn joke. He'll do this. He'll do that. And you're just like, I have, I don't even understand how you picked up that the audience was flat, but it's blowing my mind and I cannot believe that you were able to get them back. (laughs) Yeah. So much like you said before, he can command interviews. He can command the room and yeah, you know, that's, ridiculous i mean what's it like for you in front of forty thousand people where they're going apeshit to one of your songs you know that that also the the coolest part i i was feeling it and then when when d came over and he was feeling feeling it together i was like i don't know i don't think it's much better than this like be be (laughs) Besides, like, um, you know, in a, you know, I'm, I'll be stereotypical and like, uh, but besides, like, watching my like baby pop out, like, that was basically mm-hmm. it's it's the best it's the best feeling like in the goddamn world, like to be like, because it's it's just that like I did it, like, right? I I knew that this would work in my brain. I knew it would work, and if there was just people to hear it, you know, that that's what every band every band in the world and their brain just says, I know if people hear this song, they would love it. Right. You have to say that you have to say that if you believe in your material, you have to say that in order to leave that in order to leave the garage or in order to leave the basement mm-hmm. and to, to have that validation on that level where people are already judging you because they're like, this isn't twisted sister songs. Why am I listening to this? Right. There's a, there's a bias when you get on stage with D because they're expecting a certain thing. Right. And, you know, we get up there on that tour. Like the first song is the first, it's the first, we would do the first two songs off for the love of metal on that tour. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, like it's this total thrash song, like a motor, like a motorhead thrash song written by Joel Grind from uh, Toxic Holocaust. Then into like a, um, you know, like a really kind of aggro Metallica song and a song called Tomorrow's No Concern. Mm-hmm. And every audience would be into it. And you're like, okay. And then you, we would hit like, uh, uh, you can't stop rock and roll. And then the audience pops even higher. And you're like, okay, I guess this is working right now. Like mm-hmm. I was worried the audience would be down because they didn't know the songs, but they're just having a blast. And, um, D knows how to build a set list too. He knows, he knows you get, you get some respect early on just because of who you are. So you could mm-hmm. do a song or two to open and the audience is still into it. And if the songs are good, the audience are way into it. And right. then you pay them back and you, you know, you do, you know, you do a hit and everybody loves it. And um, it's, it was really cool to see songs that like I wrote. Cause we uh, like D puts everything in like little chunks and it was cool to see like, Oh, I wrote that song and it's playing right, like become the storm, become the storm for a while. was just going right before we're not going to take it mm-hmm. because he was like, the energy's already way up. So we're already super hot. So then we'll go even higher with, uh, you know, with, we're not going to take it. And you're like, wow, he believes in my song that much that it's right. It's setting right. his hit up. Like it's, <laughs> it's very, it's, it's like very humbling when he's like, yeah, I'm using your song to, get to my song which is mm-hmm. it's 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 a hell of a feeling yeah and i have to say that there are two things that have been taking up space that have been renting space in my head wow for the last few years leave a scar nice and for the love of metal love of metal um leave a scar d actually retweeted it my listeners voted it the fifth best album of last year and and some of you guys in the band retweeted it as well and shared it and whatnot and i mean it's funny because the album the album came out and like i said before i get so many promos sometimes it's difficult to remember what you receive and i saw that People were voting on the album. I'm like, holy shit, I completely forgot about this album. I need yeah. to check it out. The album, I mean, has been on repeat almost from November up until about two weeks ago where I said, okay, I need to stop listening to it so much because I'm going to get burnt out. And then I'm <laughs> so um, there's just so many things on this. This, this was. I mean, to me, that that last Widowmaker album was such a huge album for me because it was a return to the angry D from yes. his inspiration. And then everything that D put out, I'm like, I need that angry D. I need he needs to get to where I connected with him. And that's what For the Love of Metal did. And I yes. remember people early on listening to it. I saw like reviews and they were like, I can't stand all this screaming. And I'm like, the fuck are they talking about? Like I'm like, you, you've heard a Twisted Sister record, right? He's yeah. singing all the same notes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, how does this vary from a lot of those anthems from back then? They're all anthems. They're heavier. You know, obviously they're tuned a little differently and whatnot, but 
it's still that same kind of stuff that I think a lot of people, if they listen to it with an open mind, again, if they're not trying to replace their favorite album of all time, are yeah. going to appreciate it. So um, I just noticed last night, for some reason, Leave a Scar isn't on Apple Music or Spotify right now, except for two really? tracks. Yeah. Um, because I'm I had been write, playing. I'm going to write that down. That's that's curious. Yeah. Um, I It was kind of weird because I was making like this playlist and I was going to throw a bunch of songs in there. And there's only two songs that appeared. Everything else was like played out. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Um, and I'll tell you what the songs are. Because I checked Spotify earlier. Yeah, the only two songs are Open Season and The Reckoning. Everything else off of Leave a Scar gives me an error when I try to play it. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, I've seen where uh, there have been complaints with the quality of maybe a song is corrupted or whatever, and then they'll pull stuff down and then put it back up. But an entire album I've, you know, I've never seen before. So that to me was kind of odd. Well, I will be getting to the bottom of that when we get off this call. <laughs> um, real quickly here, because I've had you on for, for quite a bit here. I have a few uh, uh, questions that were submitted by, um, by some of my listeners. Okay. Um, Jeremy Weltman, who's in the UK. Uh, well, I guess the first question you kind of answered, what's it like working with D, but he, his second question was, how, how has the pandemic affected everything that you have going on? Um, well, if uh, it shouldn't come as a surprise that for a professional musician that likes playing shows, the pandemic fucking sucked <laughs> because well, I couldn't leave my house. But right. like um, at the end of the first year of the, mm -hmm. the goddamn pandemic, like at the end of 2020, um uh d called me and just said how you doing what's going on how's the baby when's her birthday again blah 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 blah. we were making all that kind of chit chat and he just said you know you had told me that you were you know you were talking to a bunch of bands that try to go out and like do hired gun stuff summer of 2020 right mm -hmm. I said yeah and he goes well just i know things are a little tough right now but think of the the positives and i said what's that and he goes you haven't left your daughter's side in a year mm -hmm. and you're never getting that back and right. years ago when i was a um <clears throat> uh when um um when i told uh uh i told Josta at some point um uh that i was having a baby yeah, he was just like, listen, just, you know, make sure that you don't go crazy on the road because, you know, coming home, coming home sometimes, sometimes they don't recognize you. And it's 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 like a knife through the heart and don't go crazy and blah, blah, blah. blah. And when he. Um, uh, when D said that, I was like, God damn, he's right. And then, you know, I got a second near like I celebrated her second birthday. I think I I think I wasn't at the house for like a day. You know, mm -hmm. like, and I'm like, all right, well, you have to, you know, it, you know, D said it. He's like, yeah, you know, you just got to look on the bright side. 
you know, there's a lot of bad stuff, but you're still here and you got to hang out with the baby. And I'm just like, well, you know what? You're goddamn right. And I wrote, I mean, I wrote a ridiculous amount of songs. I mean, I wrote so many songs. I don't remember what most of them are now. And I have, <laughs> I literally have a pad right here that I'm going through this weekend to try to catalog them to be like, what band would this even work for? Because I don't, I don't remember. Um, I'll just name stuff things, you know, I'll, I'll go like, I'm a, I'm a comic book nerd. I'm just a nerd. And um, I'll just be like, all right, I need something to name a bunch of songs off of. So I'll be like, all right, well, whatever. Like I'll name everything after uh, a bunch of uh, video games today. Like the next 20 riffs I write, they'll just be video games. But then when you go back a year later, you're like, is Metroid a ballad or is it a hard rock song? And you're like, I have to open this session because I didn't make a file of it. And then you're like, well, what kind of music is Zelda? Oh, Jesus Christ. And then it just takes forever to go through everything. But right. I wrote so much goddamn music. Now I got to, I got to <laughs> work through it and figure it out. Right. Um, and his last question is, uh, What's the reason behind the name Transition Animals? <laughs> um, well, obviously, before I told you, the band was in a, uh, you know, we had a singer. The singer disappeared, and we figured it out. Mm -hmm. And I had, an, I had an argument with somebody a couple years ago, <laughs> and they were arguing that um, evolution didn't exist. Okay. And this this woman said, if evolution exists, where are the transition animals? Huh? You don't see like a half monkey, half man. There's just a man now. And I said, that's the fucking point. We're the transition animals. <laughs> and then she wrote, she only wrote back, oh, that was it. Like, I apparently fixed her brain. Like, she was like, oh, I didn't think of it like that. <laughs> and, um... And I just I wrote it down because I was like, I like that transition animals. I'm going to write I'm going to write that down. And then considering the band, um, you know, was figuring it all out and trying to go through all this stuff. I was like, all right, I know what we're calling this record because <laughs> it's it's a killer title. And um, um, our artist there just he drew that amazing art uh, and he just shared it with me privately. And I'm like you know, I'm using this for something. And then transition animals popped in my head and there's the animals there and they're all tweaked out and weird. And it was just like this, all these things that just happened to go together. And I'm like, this title is perfect right now. We got to do it. Gotta love the internet. Yeah. <laughs> People don't. <laughs> two plus two does not equal four, my friend. It, it's <laughs> equals five for some people. So. Um, Ed Ferguson, who is a uh, guitarist himself, wants to know, uh, how do you craft your raw, heavy guitar tone? Um, that's actually super simple. Um, um, I, I'm endorsed by EVH amps and I just play an EVH 5153 stealth. And I'm like, I'm very much like a caveman. And I just kind of turn the gain up all the way and just go for it. There's really not much going on there. 
very meat and potatoes. When you guys record, are you miking the amp directly or are you reamping it? Um, we'll normal. Um, yeah, we, we mic the amp directly, and then we have like a um we what we normally like on the d record we uh, uh we quad tracked it so i went in i did two tracks of my track and then our other guitar player did two tracks of his track and then we kind of stack them on top of each other so it sounds insane um i don't know if it really does anything but you know when we were little kids they said they did it on a black album and we've basically been doing it ever since <laughs> like, i don't i don't think it does anything but we're just like it sounds better and you're like yeah whatever i guess <laughs> that's great um the next thing coming out with you on it is the corpse grinder album if i'm not mistaken yeah which uh, uh february 25th i believe yeah Okay, so that's roughly a week, two weeks from now. Um, yeah, two weeks. Is there anything you can share about that experience? Um, it was, <clears throat> it was very, very cool. Not, not, not somebody on the other end of the spectrum, but somebody I never thought I would work with, and you're just like, oh wow, like the e corpse grinder, like holy crap, and. Um, like the first idea that I kind of sent was, uh, the song that just got released recently, uh, on wings of carnage. And I was like, mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm going to write a goddamn like morbid angel riff. Cause I, I love morbid angel, but I could never write a morbid angel riff like in Kings and liars. Cause it would sound weird. All that double bass and everything. Like it would sound odd. And right. I'm like, but I'm, you know, I'm working with corpse grinder. I could, I could say, I could send a morbid angel riff to corpse grinder. and. <laughs> like but then like the next riff is just like this really heavy like like you know like get beat up in an alley like hardcore riff and i was like i don't think this is gonna work with them and then sure enough there's like vocals coming back and i'm um you know because it was during the pandemic so he was down uh i think he lived in florida and he was down there just doing his thing and we would just get stuff back like oh my god like that like that monster voice is just sending us music back. Like it sounds so crazy. And um, it's very, very heavy. Some of it's like very, very caveman. And then some of it's like super aggro. Um, we wanted it to not just be like a carbon copy of, you know, a bunch of cannibal corpse songs. Um, we. Uh, Jamie, uh, Jamie Josta, who produced it. <laughs> um, we always laugh because we released On Wings of Carnage. There's really, I mean, it sounds like a more dangerous song to me. Mm -hmm. And the, we saw a comment that we both commented on and kind of tormented the guy on Twitter. He was like, <laughs> you know, oh, same old Jamie Josta riffs, blah, 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 blah. And like, you know, he was all upset because it's, it's quote unquote sounded like hate breed. And he was like, well, I'm pretty sure Charlie wrote that song. You know, he's not in hate breed. And I was like, I'm pretty sure you didn't even listen to the song because <laughs> it's nothing like a breed. And right. Um, we were just, we were just having a laugh via text because he, he got that with like for the love of metal, like the first song, like uh, uh, tomorrow's no concern was like the first song that came out and people were saying, Oh yeah, it just sounds like, you know, the comments were like, yeah, it sounds like a breed. And you're like, how does tomorrow is no concern sound like hate like, just admit yeah. that you didn't listen and you don't like yeah. him so you want to pretend but it's like 
that's that's I mean that's kind of the awesomeness of the internet because it's just it's just this completely insane place, but <laughs> like if it disappeared tomorrow, all the music is still there and right. everybody's still singing along. So it's it's cool. Like it's fun to hear wacky comments because you just can't take them seriously. Like <laughs> as, as long as you don't take them seriously, like I I I've like when the video for the one of the D videos came out and you know, I have a shaved head and I'm wearing like a vest in the video and somebody's like, Oh, I didn't know stone cold Steve Austin plays music now. And I'm just like, and, and, you know, and, and I was like, well, I guess I'll take that as a compliment. Cause he is kind of like, he's kind of jacked up, I guess. <laughs> I was like, I'm just, I'm just taking it as a call. I don't care what, I don't care what he was trying to say. I'm taking <laughs> it as a compliment. God damn it. Because what are you gonna do? Get upset and like, Write an right. angry, write an angry text back to somebody that you've never met in your life. <laughs> yeah, 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 I get it. I was years ago. Somebody said, oh, I, "I hate how this guy interviews. He sounds like um, I forget what character it was off of South Park." And I, and I said, "Thanks. You know, I appreciate that you took the time to listen to it to at least form yeah. that opinion if you actually listened to it." So the 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 funniest thing about hate when you see hate on the internet is when you read it. And they say, I don't like that person. I never listen or I never watch their movies or I never read their comic books or whatever. Yeah. And then they'll go through like a like a point by point list of the things they didn't like on the most recent whatever they just did. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you seem to really be obsessed with this person. <laughs> like, yeah, well, that this week, that was all the uh, Star Wars stuff with. Uh, oh, yeah. Well. That, that I will say, I want, I'm a, my parents, you know, I'll be honest. My parents went to a, went to one of the first Star Trek conventions ever for their honeymoon. So that's, mm -hmm. I'm on that side of the fence. Okay. But, um, um, I, I always enjoyed, you know, some of Star Wars stuff, obviously not all of it because uh, we all saw the prequels. Um, but, uh, like, I love the Mandalorian. I'm like, wow, this is like a, this is like, you know, like a cowboy show or like, this is so cool. Yeah. And those first four episodes of Boba Fett, I'm just like, holy shit, what's going on here? Like, can you guys <laughs> do something? Like, mm -hmm. it, like there was a minute where you're like, oh, is he going to ride that thing? He's going to ride the Rand car. Oh, this is great. And then just like nothing happened. And then. And then the man, and then everybody was writing on, uh, I was about to leave for tour and everybody was texting me like best episode of Boba Fett yet. I'm like, right. Oh, I better watch it really quick. And I watch it and I'm like, this was just the Mandalorian. Boba Fett wasn't even in the episode. And they're like, I know. Isn't it great? And you're like, technically by the rules of the show. No, because the guy right. wasn't in it, <laughs> but it, I mean, it was very, very fun to finally see the Mandalorian again because that's who you want to see. And right, but I, I thought the last episode was fine. I didn't like all of it, but mm -hmm. I thought it was fine. the The hate, the hate for that show, is insane. I mean, people yeah. are very upset about that show, and I don't understand why. Yeah, I, I thought the storytelling was a lot like WandaVision, where they kind of set stuff up in a little slower pace, and yeah. then the last few episodes is where you got you know, where they needed to push the story. So I think Boba Fett was kind of book of Boba Fett was similar to that. Um, I, I just don't get, and I used to do a podcast that was called galaxy of geeks. And we talked about nice 
all this kind of stuff. And we would always talk about, you know, we're finally getting what we dreamed about as a kid. Yeah. So going back to like the albums that you worked on with D, this is what I've wanted for so long. I'm not going to bitch about it. I'm going to sit back and be entertained and appreciate that I finally got what I was looking for instead of dissecting every single little piece and going, no, this riff, this half note sounds like the half yeah. note in the 14th measure of destroy everything. So obviously it sounds like hate breed. Yeah. You know, it's or it just the amount of, you know, I remember, uh, that second Bill Burr episode of uh, the Mandalorian, that second yeah. season where he, where yeah. he killed that empire guy and everything, which uh -huh. was a blast. But I was talking to one of my friends during the episode and I said, this is, this is, um, it I mean, again, I was born in 1981. It reminded me of the whatchamacallit thing. Uh, uh, the, the, just the Ghostbusters movie. Cause when okay. I was a little kid, I played Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. And you would play Ghostbusters with your friends, and you're like, at some point, we would be fighting the ghosts, and then the Ghostbusters would come help us. And spoiler mm -hmm. alert, that's what the movie was. And I was like, yeah. how can I have a problem with this? I took a nine-year-old to the movie. She was skipping home through the, th through New York, singing the Ghostbusters song, saying, right. is that song on the internet? And I'm like, well, I think this show, I think this movie did its job, because I, I have, right. there's another... I was nine when I saw the first one, basically, and yeah. now this child is freaking out about it. And I'm watching The Mandalorian going, this is like when you're a little kid, you don't have the movies no more. And you take mm -hmm. all the little toys out of your toy box. Yep. And you say, I'm going to have this little vehicle drive over here and I'm going to tell my own story. And you're like, let's just be happy with what we got. Like, it's pretty yeah. cool that we don't have to hear about the goddamn emperor torching, torturing the Skywalker family. <laughs> for another five movies because that's that's what those nine movies were it was an old man that tortured a family <laughs> until they died that's what that's essentially the sh the short the short version of all the star wars movies right you're like let's just be happy that we we don't have to see that it's we could just see cool ships flying around like i like it it's cool yeah yeah and and i think there's a complete difference when you have people that enjoy working on something enjoy the original subject matter yes uh similar to enjoy an artist when you when you write with him as opposed yep. to someone who has no idea what's going on is just writing what oh i need to just write whatever i need to present you know these songs if they go with them well that's cool if not you know it doesn't matter you know it's completely different to again it, you just so happen to stepped into step into working on some of these projects, but knowing enough of the subject material, the original stuff, knowing enough about where someone is coming from, appreciating it, and then do you know putting your spin on it? That's what I think they're doing. You know, to their credit, is they got you know Dave Filoni, uh, John Favreau, people that grew up loving the stuff. As opposed to, I think, what J.J. Abrams did, where J.J. Abrams, eh, it's just another credit in my, you know, on my IMDb, as opposed to, yeah, you know, is, the um, um, it's we're getting a little nerdy, but that's fine by me because yes. that's what I do literally all day. But 
J.J. Abrams' best Star Wars movie was called Star Trek. Um, that's right. that's all I'll say. But <laughs> I was like, oh, that, that movie's really good. I'm sure he'll do great. And nope, Star Wars is quite bad. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I mean, and I think that's why maybe I appreciate the Star Trek movies that he did a little more because I realized that they were more in the direction of Star Wars, which I was a little bit more on that side of things as a kid, you know. I appreciated both, but I was I lean more towards that side. But yeah, I appreciated what he did with Star Trek more than what he did with uh, with the Star Wars stuff. I, but I think sometimes you're too close, and that's 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 something that works with everything. Like mm. what's his name? That dude that made the X Men movies and made the Queen movie, Brian Singer. Yeah, his dream project was to do Superman, and then he made that right. Superman movie. And it was horrible. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, I grew up, I I liked Dee Snyder. <laughs> when I got older, um, I don't tell many people this, but I will, t- you know, th- there are people listening and watching, and I will be honest, I voted for George W. Bush because Al Gore went after Dee Snyder. Right. True story. I was like, nope, that guy went after heavy metal. I don't like him. Mm-hmm. And for like, you know, three months, I, I felt pretty good about it. Like, hey, George W. Bush wins. ZZ Top plays the inauguration. Okay, I think we're doing okay. And then the rest we won't talk about. But <laughs> I voted for George W. Bush just because of D. Snyder. And mm-hmm. because I didn't like that people were going after a rock star. And I liked that the rock star kicked their ass and <laughs> like in Congress. Like, it was awesome. And then he had a radio show in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. D did. And right. so I was connected with D, but then at some point he was like, to me, he was like a radio guy and I was more connected to him as a person than I was as a music. I was a, as a musician. Cause I was, you know, I grew up and I detached a little bit. And when we were going to start working with him, one of the first things I did was I wrote songs first. Mm-hmm. And then after I wrote four or five songs, <clears throat> then I went back and I listened to um, like under the blade and stay hungry. And I was like, you know, just going through pieces or listening to a whole album on a run mm-hmm. because I wanted to make sure that my stuff came out first before, before I was trying to like regurgitate his stuff because mm-hmm. that's always the worst. Anytime you hear like, and you know, and like when bands try to do it, like when some of those bands try to like work with Rick Rubin and it kind of like falls flat because they're trying to like find that thing again, you know, and mm-hmm. it doesn't always work. A lot of right. bands it does, but sometimes when bands try to like, let's go back to our old school vibe, you know, like whoever the bands are, all those random bands with all the random producers, when they try to go back to that old school thing, they can't find it because just mm-hmm. like, you know, again, like D said in that first interview, I'm not angry anymore. And mm-hmm. right. But, you know, I'm coming from a, like as a fan, but I tried to like, I tried to pull myself away first. So I wrote for me mm-hmm. and then I wrote for him. Cause I was like, the only way we're going to have a real relationship is if we're writing for each other, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, it took, it took a goddamn while to get there. That's, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm more proud of leave a scar than I am for the love of metal. And I just keep praying that we'll get to go play some shows. 
I hope so as well. I, I think the if people that are watching this or listening to this live or the replays, um, if you haven't checked out Leave a Scar or For the Love of Metal, check them out. I mean, it's if you're into again what what you know D four, it, it's it's worth it. And all the different things that you've mentioned that are sprinkled in along the way. If you're into any of the other bands that we've been talking about, I mean, it just makes sense to to check it out. So, um, uh, as you put it on the, uh, or as the band has put it on their Facebook page, if people want to buy your shit (laughs) (laughs) and put the most, I always ask people this, where can people go to buy the, uh, Kings and Liars album and make sure that you get the most amount of money when picking the album up, where should they go? That would be Bandcamp. Okay. Bandcamp is... Besides that little fee to Bandcamp, it's always the band. If you like a band and they're on Bandcamp, that's where you should be downloading the record. Okay. And for people that want the the physical copy, uh, the first... Physical copy, physical copy uh, you'd get on saltoftheearthrecords.com. We have okay. vinyl and CDs, and uh, um, they're selling like hotcakes, so definitely pick them up quick. Okay. Um, are the vinyls available on Bandcamp as well or no? Just the uh, the vinyls are on Salt of the Earth. Okay. Just making sure. Okay. Um, where should people go to keep up with the band or anything else that you have going on? Um, you could go to uh, Kings and Liars on Instagram and on Facebook. And then for anything else, um, it's... Uh, it's it's just it's just uh, you know Charlie Belmore uh, Facebook Charlie Belmore Instagram, um, I basically just post a whole lot of pictures of all of my guitars, and uh, people keep asking me to show more pictures of the same guitars constantly because they're all nerds and I get annoyed and then I realize like oh no you used to buy guitar magazines and like you know hold the piece of paper up and like stare and be like what is that like a cut or did they do that on purpose and so. I'm like, all right, well, I, they're just being nerds like I am. So I can't, I can't fault them for that. <laughs> <laughs> and last question. Were you the one that had the uh, exchange with uh, Bubba Ray Dudley on Twitter? Yes, I was. Okay. Cause I saw that and I'm like, Hey, Bubba actually responds to someone. <laughs> yeah. I, um, he, I saw one of my buddies, um, uh, a, a wrestler up here in the Northeast, um, named uh, uh, Ron, Ron Zombie. He got permission from Rob to use that name. Okay. But Ron's friends with Bubba, and we played a show. Um, I think it was the Kill Thrax tour. Josta did. Okay. And Josta, it was, you know, Anthrax, Kill Switch Engage, and Josta did some of the shows. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there jamming. And I see my buddy Ron, and he's pointing like a, over his shoulder. I'm like, the fuck's he pointing at? And there's, you know, I'm a giant wrestling fan since I was a kid. And there's Bubba Ray Dudley's just standing there looking at me. And I'm like, what the hell? And like, I ran down, like once I finished playing, like I didn't even pack my stuff up and I'm just like, you know, talking to him and he was the coolest dude. And then, you know, four or five years later, I'm just playing a show in Florida randomly yeah. and 10 feet away from me, almost in the same spot on my side of the stage. I'm just like, with in the sea of like you know of of like uh, of people, I just see like you know he's a foot taller than everybody else, and I'm like, there's Bubba Ray Dudley again, and I'm like, 
that can't be him. And I just kept saying, like, that can't, there's no way that's him. Right. Why would he be here? It's so weird for him to be here. Right. And I was like, I got to tweet him to see. And then sure enough, I was like, oh, shit, I should have, I should have went and found him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Another guy that's a massive metalhead. So that's awesome. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, music, video games, geek stuff, wrestling. I mean, we could probably go on another six to eight hours, but I've had, <laughs> yeah. you, on, uh, you know, for, for enough already. I appreciate you spending all of this time, uh, with me tonight. Um, if you ever want to come back on to promote anything, the door is wide open. If you just want to come back on to talk music or any other subject, the door is open. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate you having me on and I was unsure how long I'd be on. Cause I was, um, you know, our, um, our PI guy, our PR guy hooked us up and I was, I was so busy. I had a, um, I, my whole family after tour, everybody was sick this week. So I right. didn't have any time to research it. And I'm like, I don't know if this is a five minute thing or an hour. And then I was like, Oh, thank God. He's, he's fucking cool. <laughs> so I just like, um, uh, I, I, I told my chick, I was like, I don't know how long this interview is, but we'll have dinner after. So don't worry about it. And, uh, I'm very, very glad to have done this interview. And, um, uh, I'm very glad that somebody, I was able to find somebody on earth that also liked the seventh episode of the Boba Fett show <laughs> because all of my friends are stupid. So, so it's, it's very glad to also meet one of those. And it's, wonderful to meet somebody else that loves dehumanizer because i get a lot of rolling eyes when i say that please from from beginning 10 well again I'll, uh, last thing before we wrap up here i have the vinyl reissue that they put out in 08 mm -hmm. and they turned all of vinnie's drums down it oh. sucks it's terrible like yeah um so, i will i will say one thing that uh in addition to that the Ronnie James Dio tribute record. Mm -hmm. I think you could just look us up, but Josta, we did a version of Buried Alive. Yes, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Okay. Josta fucking I'm still blown away to this day. He worked his ass off. He hits those notes. Like, you know, mm -hmm. he, he's working. And I was like, you hit the notes. So we should probably do this live. And he was like, you could go fuck yourself. I'm never doing this live. <laughs> He's, but he does it. My brother, um, very much, uh, pays homage to, uh, uh, to Vinny. And I just worshiped at the altar of Tony. It's, it's definitely a serious cover. You would probably enjoy. Yeah. It's one of the best covers off of that album. Uh, oh, thank you, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no doubt outside of it being off of dehumanizer. <laughs> it was one of the things where I was like, all right, uh, I want to hear Joss to do this. I go, this is one of my favorite songs of all time. You know, I want to hear this. And then just hearing the heaviness that you guys put behind that. I'm like, all right, this is going in the playlist. Uh, <laughs> so it, it's one of those, it's one of the songs that I still listen to off of that uh, tribute album. So that's awesome to hear, man. See that you've been renting space in my head for years, and I didn't even know it. <laughs> so, well, thank you for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Awesome, yeah. Thank you, and hope to catch up with you uh, in the future, sir. Damn right. Thank you. All right. Awesome. Bye.
All right, guys. How awesome was that? That was uh, Charlie Belmore of um, Josta, D. Snyder's band, Corpse Grinder, and Kings and Liars. Check the album out. It is it is really cool. I think you guys will enjoy it. Um, he summarized and categorized everything great. It was fun. I mean, that's, again, one of the longest interviews that I've done on here. And it's a tribute to having a lot of stuff in common with um with charlie and um and just being able to have a, a regular conversation so i want to thank everyone who was uh here tonight uh brad um uh, let's see who else did we have in the chat well we had brad we had uh bill elam we had uh box checking in from australia i know that it's super early there so uh thank you for uh, being here tonight and commenting and please come back in the future when we do um, uh, with other episodes, these um, if you're um, on the East coast shows start every Friday at 8 AM your time. So it could be a way to uh, start your Saturdays off. Think about it. <laughs> so um, yeah. So thanks all you guys for, for being here tonight. Thanks Jeremy for being part of the, the pre-show over on fireside as well. Uh, it's been awesome. And um, yeah, we'll see you next week where I will have my patrons here. We will be having our rush discussion uh, after months of uh, Johan uh, campaigning to have this done. We we will be talking Rush next week. So if you're a Rush fan or know anyone who's a huge Rush fan, I'm sure you guys will enjoy our uh, discussion. Uh, on that note, I will leave you guys, and I will see you next time right here on the Signals from Mars live stream brought to you by the Mars Attacks podcast. And if you are listening to the podcast or watching the replay, thank you for taking time out of your day for doing so. As I always say, I know that there are a million other things that you could be doing right now, but I appreciate that you decided to spend this time with me. So thank you. We will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 